You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In this episode, we have Anthony Culpepper Jr., a Trio Upward Bound and Student Support Services alum. Anthony is on the podcast to talk about his educational experience, his experience working in TRIO, and thoughts about education moving forward. So coming up in just a bit, Anthony Culpepper Jr. This episode was a, a great honor to re- to record. Uh, we were able to uh, just have this nice conversation about education. Uh, Anthony is uh, a great leader. He's currently an EDD candidate. Uh, you'll hear uh, in the interview. And uh, getting an educational doctorate, he knows he's he's diving into aspects of education that need addressing the most. So it was a wonderful interview. And again, uh, thank you, Anthony, for being on the podcast uh, and for sharing. Uh, your thoughts remember if you would like to be on the let's talk trio podcast send us a message via twitter instagram or facebook let us know that you would like to be on the podcast you can also nominate a trio alum or current student or staff member or former staff member to be on the let's talk trio podcast send us an email let us know who they are and uh either cc us uh, or you can email us at let's talk trio at gmail.com that email is let's talk trio l-e-t-s-t-a-l-k-t-r-i-o at gmail.com Huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Vielpando, Rosario O'Reilly, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast. You too can be a patron of Let's Talk Trio podcast. Head on over to Patreon, search for Let's Talk Trio. You can, so you can select your sponsor level. We have multiple tiers for you to be a patron. You can select the first tier, which is our $1 a month. Uh, $1 a month literally goes a long way in supporting this podcast. Or 
If you own a business and would like to advertise on our podcast, we do have a corporate section sponsorship. You can sponsor us for $100 a month and insert your ad on this podcast. We will publish your ad for every episode we publish in that month. Again, a great interview with Anthony Culpepper Jr. I think you all will enjoy uh, a great conversation and just a great, uh, just a great example of what a notable trio alum can do when they go back and influence their trio program. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, Trio Nation. My guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is currently an EDD candidate in higher education leadership and former director of the Trio Student Support Services Program at St. Peter's University in Jersey City, New Jersey. And he's notably a Trio alum of the Trio Upward Bound Program at Stevens Institute of Technology, a college prep program. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Africana Studies from the State University of New Jersey, New Brunswick, uh, got that degree in 1985, and a Master of Science from New Jersey Institute of Technology in Professional Technical Communication in 2016. His interests and hobbies include traveling, teaching, reading, cultural exchange, research, and family time. Previous work experience includes working with the military veterans and NJIT. He was also the True Upward Bound Math Science Programs Director uh, and also worked in a variety of levels there and a college professional for Rutgers University. Please welcome soon-to-be Dr. Anthony Culpepper Jr. to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Anthony, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to conversate with you and all the TRIO alumni out there and those that will be TRIO alum out there as well. Anthony, we're so honored to have you on the podcast. And again, uh-huh. again thank you so, so much for agreeing to be on it. And definitely, you're a, a notable alumni in that you've uh-huh. accomplished so much. Right. Thank you. And TRIO is in my blood. TRIO works. Um, it, and I'm a proof that it has worked and has had an impact on me. And I try to give impact on the students that I have worked with in the past. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, how are you doing? How are things in New Jersey? Well, things in Jersey are slowly opening back up. Um, people have, are still wearing their masks, uh, especially the older folks like me <laughs> uh, uh, that are apprehensive about going out without a mask, considering that there's different variations of the COVID out there. So oh, they're yeah. just being uh, careful with themselves. And even though they say go in the honor system, uh, it's not a lot of trust with people on the honor system. So people are still mm-hmm. being careful as to how things are going and being cautious with themselves because they want to be around for longer. Even though think, everything else is going down. Yeah. I, I think with, there was a sense of normalcy, right? Pre pandemic that you got to go to concerts, movie theaters, did a lot right. of things publicly, right? Uh, are you getting right. a sense of normalcy now that uh, we're, uh, you know, getting closer to the end of this? I th- it's a slow process. Um, as things are starting to open back up, I see the movie theaters, the parking lots of them are start, starting to fill up, but not totally full like they were before. Uh, restaurants, people are starting to go into restaurants. Um, so there's comfort level there going to restaurants and stuff like that. Um, so it's a slow process. It'll probably be before the end of the year that we get there, providing that it's reported that more people are taking the vaccination. And once that's done, then people will go in a different direction. Absolutely. Now that, as we said earlier, the pandemic seems to be coming to a close. What will you take from this experience? Well, um, 
the shutting down, shutting in, um, it gives you time to reflect and even really set your goals and reset what you're doing and um, the love for the family members that are around you. Um, for this past year, it's just me, my wife, and my dog that we've been sheltered in and we've been careful and conscious of what we're doing and how we're doing it. So you, you start to reassess what you have and what you don't have, what you need most of all, Mm-hmm. and so I'd appreciate those things and be grateful and have a gratitude for the things that you do have and the things you're able to do in the midst of anything else that's going on. Absolutely. I think you worded it so finely about, uh, you know, kind of really analyzing what is needed, what do you need the most in order to make mm-hmm. it in this world, right? Um, right? But truly, what did you learn more about yourself during this, uh, the, the quarantining or the shutting in? I would say for me, it's been more so reflective of what I really want to do and get that done. And this past year has been really focusing on finishing my EDD so I can have that done so I can go on to the next level and reflecting on all the experience I've had in there that have allowed me to in turn um, bring that to my coursework and my vision of what I want to do from this point forward. So looking at the history, looking at my experience and looking at what I'm doing with this EDD and what we're doing with it afterwards. So that's impressive with your EDD and, and what you're uh, already, you know, uh, already accomplishing in that program. Right. And we're de- definitely going to talk more about that uh, later on. Uh, but uh, you said earlier that you're seeing the movie theaters filling up again. And right. uh, are there any things or locations are, that you're looking forward to going to? Well, um, after this degree is over, I'm looking to take a vacation somewhere. Definitely. Since my wife wife likes the beach, it has to be somewhere where there's a beach and the Mm -hmm. weather's nice. So I have to, uh, um, I agree with her because um, she hasn't been able to get all the time that we normally give because of study and all that. But I agree that we would take a vacation after all this is somewhere nice. So, um, so we're going to find somewhere, whether it's Puerto Rico, Aruba, one of the um, Cayman Islands, somewhere where it's nice so she can lay back on the beach and just soak up the sand. She called the beaches uh, uh, vitamin C. Um, so, <laughs> so when she go get a vitamin C and the rays of the vitamin D, so she, that's her um, sanctuary. So we had to go somewhere after this all over, spend some more time out in the public, as you would say. So that's what I'm looking to do after this all over. Absolutely. And a very well-deserved break uh, for right. both of you uh, and, yeah. you know, be able to relax on the beach and to be able to go out. So that's amazing. Uh, quickly, uh, kind of shifting gears a little bit about right. education. Uh, right. Education evolved, I think, uh, with this pandemic. You know, uh, instructors right. were being pushed to online learning. Uh, right. Students uh, and teachers had to master this thing called online learning. What do you right. hope educators learn from this online education? Hopefully that they really begin to assess how we can better facilitate the needs of our students and really assess that there is a digital divide out there and that we weren't really prepared for our students that don't have the computers or the iPads or the things that need to be in the the classroom. They don't have computer um, internet connections. So it helps not just higher education, but all educational institutions and the society overall, what we are not really connected. We're supposed to be this 
um, society that is in the forefront mm-hmm. beating everything, but we're not. So now they have to reassess where we are, what we're going to do to be better facilitated. I know even at St. Peter's, um, it was a shock for the students because they weren't used to this online learning. And now they have to go everything online. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it destroyed their, their belief of what college life should be because college life, as we know it, is a lot of interaction. Uh, a lot of personal interaction uh, with the professors, with the fellow classmates, um, within residence halls, or the activities on campus, all that has been shut down for about 14 months. So now how do we get back into slowly getting geared up for the next upcoming year? So it's a learning process, and hopefully all the institutions, whether it's um, pre-secondary uh, or secondary education or post-secondary, we all have learned what we what we need to be more um, viable for the uh, population that we're serving. So. Excellent, excellent observations and great commentary, uh, Anthony. Thank you so much for that. Uh, before I get into this next question, um, and this is t- still a little bit on the pandemic and the quarantine, did, did you pick up any new skills or pick up uh, a new hobby uh, during this time? Um, knowing how to rest. <laughs> knowing how to rest. I love that. <laughs> knowing how to rest. Because this thing has showed, slowed you down, shut you down, so you can do all the things that you normally do. Mm-hmm. So you got to learn how to um, use your time wisely, use your interaction wisely, and just be able to plan out your day. Um, and time management is a lot different because mm-hmm. we couldn't really go anywhere for a good 12 to 14 months, we can go anywhere. Right. And right. same thing with church. I'm part of a church. I'm a deacon in a church. A whole structure for that has changed. So we're doing everything online. Um, so as that, you know, worshiping online and following up with that. And then when we had opportunity with it, they lifted some of the restrictions. We had service outside in the parks. So yeah. learning how to readjust and adapt your life to what you can do. I, I, I take, into, take into consideration, it's like going to space. What are you going to do in space? Mm-hmm. If you're in a I, spaceship, you're traveling from one location to the next, what are you going to do? You, you can't go out in the park. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, you're kind you of strapped sit in, right? In, like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're strapped in there. You know, you, you got to get, you, if you're close, uh, claustrophobic, you can't go nowhere. Mm. You know, the only way you can go is oh, uh, go in your space suit and go out and do uh, repairs on the spaceship. Right, uh, right. Things like that. So, you know, you are, you have to learn to use what you have and adjust to that. The blessing is I have a house, I have a backyard. So I'm able to sit out in the backyard when it's nice or when I just want to sit out just even if it's for five minutes, but I feel sorry for all the people that live in apartments and all they have, and they have a family, have kids and they have maybe two or three bedroom apartments and so amount of kids that they really no private time. <laughs> they had to learn to readjust. Oh, to, definitely. You know, you know, you used to going to work and going back and forth to work. That's a little private time you have had. Mm-hmm. Take a lunch break. That's a little private time. But when you at home, everything is a family unit. So you learn to appreciate your family more. Absolutely. You have to adjust everything to that because you really can't go outside because you weren't afraid of who has it, who doesn't have it. And when the, it rose, the death rate was rising. People were hospitalized, was rising. Mm-hmm. People were more apprehensive about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So now that's why you have more people uh, in New York and the surrounding communities buying houses in these areas like New Jersey or Connecticut, where mm-hmm. they're in the backyard with their yeah. family. 
so they know that they have and now their most jobs allow us to work from home no matter where you are you can work from home and still be able to do the things you need to do and have some sanity to your normal activities absolutely absolutely so i'm I'm one of those uh parents that uh i work from home and uh, i have my kids around me uh it was 24 7 uh this last year <laughs> and i love them i love them to death but yeah. i i appreciate my commute a little bit more uh i appreciate right. uh the the moments i get i i return to the office so we're supposed to return for for my full-time job i, uh, I return august 2nd um okay and I take, I usually take the bus and, you know, uh, I never really thought about it before. I would just take the bus and that would be the end of it. And I never right. really complained about the commute, but uh, this past Friday where we had our kind of team unit meeting, cause we needed to be on campus for it. Uh, I went, took the bus and I was so grateful for the silence that I had <laughs> and the walk to the, to work. I, mean, I was, I was grateful. I was grateful. You, you appreciate everything you have. You got the gratitude for what you've been, you know, what you're missing. You know, Absolutely. we take those things for granted. There's, uh, those small things, you know, people that take the train back and forth to work were able to, on a pass, take a nap, but yeah. they weren't able to take the train, can take a nap, <laughs> take a bus for long distance, can take a nap. You know, you, you stuck where you are. Yeah. How do you make the best out of it? So Make the best you know, out of the situation, yeah. You have to adapt. Um, it's like the Marines. Adapt, improvise, and overcome. So that's wow. what everybody ha- basically have to do. Have yeah. to adapt, improvise, and overcome with the situation that they're in. Absolutely. Anthony, so we're going to, let's rewind a little bit. And uh, we're going to take a moment to reflect on your education. It must be me, because I think I'm buffered. And I'm not sure if you're hearing me. I can still hear you. Yeah. Say it again. Um, That's a question. Yeah, no, we're going to take a moment to rewind and reflect on your educational growth. Okay. Uh, Can you talk to us about you growing up and what were you like as a kid? Well, I'm the oldest of my family of three. Um, and I was, I'm the first generation. I'm kind of like the elder, um, uh, of a family. My mo- mother has a family of 13. Oh, wow. So we have a host of cousins. Mm-hmm. So I, of the generation of cousins, I am the first, um, to go to college. So Amazing. a lot of things were built around me and being a part of the upper bound program. Stevens was a catalyst for me going to college, getting that experience, living on campus, being away from home, right. um, experiencing new things. My first um, play was with the Upper Bound program. And my first play was going to see Stephanie Mills in The Wiz on Broadway. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was my first play. And that was a, a cultural experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, they always took us on dinners uh, uh, at restaurants. That was a cultural experience because you don't normally do that um, in that fashion. So I have that. And uh, one thing I do remember on during the six week summer program, mm-hmm. you stayed there the whole time. And on the weekend, they had activities for us. But they also had on Sundays, they had a, a tub ride up and down the Hudson if you wanted to go on that. Oh, so wow. that was a learning experience for me too, as well. Doing different things, I guess the program, Upperbound program, was a program that began to get me exposed to different things. I'm from Newark, New Jersey, the largest city in in New Jersey. Um, the public system there is not the best, um, and starting to develop um, better now, but it's still not the prime educational system for the students. There's still a lot of things lacking there. Mm-hmm. As a result, okay. we're proving. So my background came from me having um, the Upper Bound program allowed me to be 
when I graduated high school being number seven in my class of 205 students. That's so amazing. it helped me academically to do better. Um, and I was in it for um, three summers and three academic years. So it had an impact on me in that respect um, and gave me a lot of opportunities as a result of that. And I, to some degree, teachers saw me doing things academically and pushed me to do other things as well. So doing that made a big difference in my life. And I can say that Upperbound program, summer program, was pivotal in me looking at things differently. And in that, in that way was, was the beginning of a change in my life. And as a result of that, my sister went to the same program, my cousin went to the same program, and a few other relatives have joined other Upperbound programs since then because they see the impact the Upperbound program have on students going to college, having a mindset and preparation for college and graduating for that. So that's it. For me, I was the first out of my cousins, which was over 60 of them. And I was the only male graduate, a male, uh, male to go to college, graduate for a number of years. It wasn't mm-hmm. until about five years ago um, that another male cousin um, graduated um, from Rutgers too, which made mm-hmm. me happy and proud. So I wasn't the only male graduate. I had other female graduates, that, uh, females uh, cousin that graduated, but that was a burden that I, I carried for a while. Yeah. Wow. Um, so my next question to you then would, how would your family describe you? You talked about having a very right, large and extended family. How would they describe you as, as a, as gro- growing uh, up? I would say I was a quiet individual. <laughs> um, I was quiet. I, was, I wasn't the, um, I was active in sports and stuff. That's because my mother forced me to do different things. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't allow me to play football, but she allowed me to run track, cross country and play soccer with soccer, which is worse than football because you don't have equipment. The only equipment you have is shin guards. So it's true. That, that, so it, it beats the whole purpose. And then, um, tw- twice throughout my three seasons, I got knocked out oh. with the ball. Yeah. So, but, um, um, so, um, so it, it is a learning experience, but they, they would describe me as someone that is focused, um, someone that, um, would go, a go getter, um, then, um, goes after the opportunities that knock. Um, I guess I was kind of considered the, the one to lead in the pathway. I'm the beacon of light showing the other cousins what they can do. Since mm-hmm. I was one of the oldest and one of the oldest that were doing something that they all wanted me to, uh, that they all wanted me to model for their children as well. So to some degree, I was a role model for everybody else. You were really like a lighthouse then, uh, kind of showing yeah. the way. That's yeah. amazing. Show them the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Show them the way. Mm-hmm. So what was your educational or what was education or school something that fascinated you? Is, is, did education draw you when you were little? Well, well I, I had always had an interest in science. I had always an interest in math. Um, and when I was in grammar school, one of the teachers, um, we had we was talking about the earth and the space and all that. And she was describing that. And I always remember one question that I asked that she could not ask. If there was, if we were all on this planet is always rotating and uh, going different directions, how come we not falling off of it? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Simple question. Yeah. But she can explain gravity to me. Hmm. And can explain the atmosphere that surrounds the earth. Mm-hmm. So if I had that, I would probably develop another, uh, curiosity about 
science, mm-hmm. uh, but always had an interest in science and always interest in mathematics. So all through our grammar school, my teachers pushed me to do that. And even when I got in high school, this um, math was my ultimate um, enjoy, enjoy science and science. So you were really drawn to science and kind of the right. world that it, it brought in. Um, right. That's amazing. Uh, I think that a lot of students get turned away by STEM, any, any sort of STEM fields right. because of the level of work involved. Um, right. But it seems to me like you were really drawn to it early. Right. I was drawn to it. I just had a natural instinct for it. And well, I remember one Christmas, my mother bought me a chemistry set. So I was trying to read the structure and trying to mix things, but that's about all I can do. So I, I, that went to wayside. So, but it, it was interesting to have that curiosity and that curiosity helped me to go on to do different things. Absolutely. So talk to us about your early education in elementary. Uh, you were already kind of referring to it a little bit. What do you right. remember most about it? Um, the, the, I guess the biggest thing about my elementary school was the school that it was in. It was an old school that um, had a courtyard in the middle of the school. So it was like a fortress at the courtyard that we had recess in and all the activities on there. Me being a part of the security guard, no, the, um, we call it crossing guard, um, uh, we, yeah, with the monitors, the badges and everything. And me just being involved with different activities and grandma's and the teachers from time to time coming home to my mother said, he, he does not need to be, it needs to be in a private school or whatever. Mm. But the money wasn't there for me, mm. but because my interest in science and how well I was doing academically, they always pushed me to try to get me to be part of different classes and different activities. So mm. that was the grammar school in reference to me being involved in different things and um, just basically doing what I needed to do academically and creating an interest there. Yeah. Do you remember what you felt when you made the transition from elementary to middle school? Um, the, uh, well, my grammar school was K to K to eight. So oh, everything eight. was right there in K to okay. eight. So I had that, um, experience where I was there for nine years, kindergarten, all the way up to eighth grade. Um, and I was right across the street from the grammar school. So there was no need to go anywhere else. And all the kids pretty much in my neighborhood went to the same grammar school. So I just met my long life friend. Um, he was in the kindergarten class with me. And he is still my friend to this day. And we always joke and say, oh, you know, you, you, you know me as long as my siblings know me, but even longer because we're the same age. So <laughs> it's like, you'd like a brother to me. So we, 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 you know, we have that, that connection. So being with somebody from 55 years plus, um, where we did a lot of things, we even went to college together. We didn't wow. go to the same high school, but we were in the same grammar school. And, and it's a good experience to have somebody a part of your life for that long. They can say he was in my kindergarten class. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's a big difference. Mm. So then uh, moving on then from uh, elementary and, and, and middle school, uh, high school is something definitely a lot of students remember, whether it's a positive or negative experience Right. for you. What was your high school experience like? Can you talk to us about that? Well, the first year um, I was just floating through, um, I guess floating through, just trying to find my way, just a quiet guy and got involved in different things because some of the guys I grew up with, 
uh, for my building. I lived in the Celebrate Projects. We all went to class together. We walked to school together. We sometimes did the bus together, but we went there as a group. So we got in different sports together. We got in uh, track and field, cross country. My first year um, running cross country, I never knew how to run, but we used to run around the area. But mm. running, um, we were trying to be the big men on campus. So it was like five of us running cross country, joining the cross country team. Mm-hmm. And the seniors have been there for a while. So we were trying to keep up with them. And we, we start hyperventilating, huffing and puffing, oh uh, because we could keep up with them. Yeah. And they, they saw that we were suffering. So they came back and told us, breathe, breathe, breathe. Don't try to follow us. Just create your own pace. Mm-hmm. That was the funniest thing I remember. Running cross country, um, and then in turn, um, had to learn how to run, how to be an athlete, and yeah. follow them, and then also doing track and field, learning things like that. So that transition year was uh, just a good transition year. I was a C average student, um, but it wasn't until after that when I joined the Upper Bound program, because a lot of teachers saw the picture of me and say, "You need to be part of this program." I never knew what Upper Bound was, mm. and they explained it to my mother and said, "Okay, we'll take him." Um, so I joined that and it was enjoyable and I did that for three years, um, two years in the summer program. Then the third year was in the bridge program, yeah. um, as a to go to college. So it was a learning experience that gave me opportunity to really, um, blossom as a student. Absolutely. How did you find out about the trio program program? Uh, through my counselors and my teachers, they all pushed me because of my academic standing or the type of person I was, they saw that college was, was could be in, I was in the college, prepar- college preparatory program. Mm-hmm. So they said, you need to be part of this program. And at that point in time, there was a program at Montclair, program at Stevens, a program at Princeton, a program at um, Seton Hall. Mm-hmm. So they took all the students that they uh, in that class and divided us amongst all the different schools. Mm-hmm. And mine would just happen to be Stevens. And there I was, um, going up to Stevens for the summertime wow. and enjoying every moment of it. So it was a good experience going off at 14 years old to an upper bound program, not knowing anybody, not knowing anything. Um, but loving it because your mother said you're going, but she didn't really argue. So, and it was a learning experience and I enjoyed it. So every year after that, I was, I look forward to going. Absolutely. So it was definitely worthwhile, enjoyable experience. Talk to us about that trio program experience. What did you enjoy most about it? Um, exposure. I would say that's the key thing. Exposure academically, exposure socially, exposure um, within the realms of things that we do uh, within the confines of the country. Um, uh, it opens up, up to what was happening. Mm-hmm. It opened our mind to see things around us. Um, our program, Stevens, at that point in time, took students from New Jersey and New York. Mm. So I met students from New York school system as well as different parts of New Jersey. Wow. So we all came on campus that summertime and we all exchanged, and a lot of those students are still friends today from the Upper Mount program. So you tend to, that exposure woke me up to a lot of different things. You create a mindset with those students that you work with, are going through the program with, even though you don't realize you're creating the same mindset, but you're developing a mindset that you're going to college. Mm-hmm. That's, there's, there's no other, no else about it. You're going to college. 
Mm-hmm. And a few others that may went to the military eventually came back and went to college. But the focus was that you're part of this group and we've, uh, we are taking and forming you as students that won't be able to go off to college and succeed. Absolutely. I think, and that's what I feel with upper ground programs is that they, they're, they're making an investment to the student, right? It's right. seen as this, as this investment. Um, uh, so then really a great transition to the next question was, was going to college something you thought about or something your family encouraged? Um, we talked about our family, but it wasn't a, a pathway. The upper bound program gave me the pathway and the tools needed to go off to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, family, it was a dream for them because like I said, I was the first one to go going to college. My family, there was nobody in my mother's generation um, or no prior to that, right. that I'm going to college and nobody of my siblings uh, or my cousins of my um, generation had gone to college. So in essence, uh, the upper bound program um, was a torch that led the pathway for me to go to college, talk to me about it, talk to me about what needs to be done, formulated the skill sets I needed to survive in college. So it gave me all the things I needed to really have a successful uh, transition into college. Right on. Awesome. Mm-hmm. What colleges made your list? I know a lot of high school students, when they think about college, they immediately think about like the, the Ivy Leagues, the, the Harvards, the Yales. Uh, and then there's this like kind of secondary thought to state or uh, te- technological schools or even technical schools. Uh, for you, what was that? What, what colleges made your top 10? My, my college made, only, I only really applied to five colleges. And oh, lo and behold, okay. one was in California. California Institute of oh, Technology. Wow. Yeah. And I uh, got accepted there. And another one was at Rutgers and Stevens, which uh, was in the program there. And then I think I applied to one down in South Jersey. I just can't remember which ones. But those were colleges. I was interested in going to college for engineering because Stevens was engineering school and all the classes we had was on giving you an engineering education, a foundation. So that was my focus going up to college to become an engineer. And I had an interest in civil engineering. So I wanted to be wanted to build bridges and houses and things like that. So that was my focus. And uh, as I, um, been part of the upper bound program, um, as a result of that, when being a part of the upper bound program, Mm-hmm. Uh, at Stevens, uh, Excel was one of their sponsors, and oh, really? they picked yeah they picked six of us students to uh, participate in a commercial about this is an unusual college and it was titled unusual um, high school class and we built a a bridge a model bridge mm-hmm. during the summertime over oh, oh, academic year I should say uh, with one of the professors of the program and we called it Trump P Junior I mean the Tramp P Junior um, Bridge because mm. it took the initial from each one of us uh, to name the um, bridge, and it, it was on display at Stevens for a number of years. I think something fell on it and cracked it, but it was in Ebony's magazine. Really? Yeah, it was in Ebony magazine, ah. uh, and um, got a lot of publicity for that. And they also made a commercial out of us building and coming together to mm. build a bridge. And they put that up. And that was one of my first time really getting paid for a commercial. Wow. Uh, it was only like, it was only like, I think every time they posted it, I got maybe a hundred dollars and everybody was, all the students that were in that, um, on that 
in that group, mm-hmm. he had a hundred dollars every time they did that. So for over a year, that was how Exxon was talking about. This is a non-traditional high school class. And yeah. this is why it's non-traditional because they're part of the upper bound program. And this is what they're learning the skill sets they're learning. Wow. So I was like, I was happy and privileged to be part of that. And um, as well as some of the other students that were part of that group as well. So I know my next question is going to sound a little mm-hmm. bit redundant because right. as you approach senior year, you were involved in, in some things. You, right. you were extracurricular activity student. You, you did everything you can. It sounds like you were very standout. You, you buffered um, there. Can you repeat that question? Oh, sure. Right. So as, as, you approached, as you approached senior year, uh-huh. uh, you, did you have a, a, a list or a solid list of, college, of colleges that you wanted to ultimately apply to that you decided like, yep, I'm going to, I'm going to attend. No, no, it wasn't. I mean, it was still, I'm going to college. I really didn't clear where. And then later on, I learned that a lot of my high school teachers went out to black colleges and universities, but no one talked with me about it. So Mm -hmm. anyone to really talk with me about college were the counselors and the director and the staff at the upper bound program. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have, like most people now have a wide range of colleges to select from and be your, your number one choice or you're picking that school because you're like the basketball team or football team. Right, right. College wasn't, I didn't really pick colleges based on that. I just picked it based on um, what the upper bound program guided me to do, what helped me fill out application for, what they felt that based on my academic standing, I'll probably get into. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really amazing when I got the acceptance letter from California and they um, called me, the students called me, the faculty called me and my mother was like, you going to California? I say, yeah, but I got to find a way of paying for it. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. yeah. So, and then, you know, I'm the oldest and I'm uh, potentially maybe going up to California. Um, so it was like, okay, a stepfather said, well, if he goes, he gets the money, let him go. So, <laughs> so my, <laughs> yeah. but after all the ones I got to, I guess the comfort zone I had at Stevens, I accepted that acceptance mm-hmm. um, and went there and did the summer bridge program. But that once I got there, I didn't have the foundation and the math background of the calculus that I needed to really be an engineering program there. Mm-hmm. So they worked with me getting, since I did get accepted to Rutgers, going to Rutgers engineering. Okay. And that's where I started my college career at, at Rutgers engineering in the fall. Okay. So that's what it was. So coming from Newark, I didn't have all the foundation I need academically, but the upper bound program did give me a leg up to be um, competitive in some ways. Absolutely. So you already kind of told us that, that uh, Stevens Institute of Technology was the first college you really considered and that you ultimately decided on. But then you moved yeah. on to a different college, uh, Rutgers, uh, to move on uh, with your education. Um, do, do you remember? And I kind of just want to reflect w- with you for a moment about the moment yeah. you were accepted to a college. Do you, what do you remember about feeling uh, about that feeling? I was happy because the first one I got was California Institute of Technology. It's like, oh, they said to me, I'm in Cal- I didn't go to California. No. You know, you, you know, you know about California, you know about the the different states, but the knowing that you get accepted in a, a, uh, a school in California that's an engineering school first beyond all the other schools was amazing because it's like, Oh, I guess I am going to college. Mm. So it was a wake 
okay, I guess I I will have to make a decision as soon as where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Then that's when it came in. Ruckus came in. Stevens came in, and a few other ones came in. So that's when they had the conversation with me as where are you going to go. Um, and that was, um, and my mother and stuff, I left that up to the upper bound program to guide me as to what school I need to go to and what would be best for me because they know that I've been guiding, they've been guiding me thus far and been participating in the program. So, um, that's when it was good. Fantastic. Anthony, we're going to take a break on the podcast. Uh, everyone will be right back with Anthony Culpepper Jr. Uh, talk to us more a little bit about his uh, college transition and history of experience. So we'll be right back. Four, three, two, one. And we are back with Anthony Culpepper Jr., who is a, tr- a notable Trio Upward Bound alum and currently an EDD candidate uh, at, at uh, St. Peter's, Peter's University. Am I getting that correctly? Right, right, right. All right. right correct. Mm-hmm. So, Anthony, can you talk to us about your, uh, your college experience? You, you went to college. What was that transition like? And... Uh, how did that differ from your structured school day to now having your own schedule? Well, um, well, the, the, the schedule wasn't that bad because same thing when you went to Stevens on the summer program, they put it all together for you. So right. that was an easy transition. Then being part of the summer program helped me with that transition. So if anything, the upper bound helped me with that transition in the college, how to socialize, how to make friends, how to um, get in, um, put things in place so that I can be successful and comfortable and being successful. Um, Ruckus at that point in time had a, I guess, a high enrollment that fall semester, and I, I was put in a, a triple. Um, so that was a, a learning experience too. Yeah. Um, with two other guys. Um, so that was good, but you know, one was definitely from the South Jersey, um, quiet guy, quieter than me. And he was in engineering. And then I had another roommate. Um, he was a musician and he played the banjo, um, guitar, the string instrument it was, and he was into country music. So I learned a lot from him in that respect. So, um, so it was a cultural experience. It was learning to, socialize on campus, meet different people, meet people in the residence hall that I stayed in, and then start meet people on campus that were supportive of me. And being in engineering back in 76, that was a, a big push because it was not many black and Latinos in the engineering program at Rutgers, and all our classes were on Bush campus. I lived on College Ave, but when we went over there, it would be a whole day before I see another black or Latino student in any one of my classes. Sometimes it would be a whole week. So wow. when you just meet them, you learn who they are, where they live, so you can form study groups together and supportive of each other. So that was a big thing there, too. 
um, understanding how to find your support system, your crying system, and what you need to do and go from there. So it was it was a learning experience. It was good because that first year was a growing, really growing experience, uh, realizing that engineering was definitely something that I didn't realize what it entailed, but I had a dream for it. And I had a taste for science, I had a taste for math, but I didn't have the level of math I had. So the math class I did take there uh, was a whole year uh, pre-calculus class, which was good and gave me the foundation I needed to. Um, but you know, at Rutgers you had physics, calculus, chemistry, um, English, engineering mini course. So all this going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you had a very rigorous course. How do you begin to deal with that? That's like, ay, 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 ay. So, <laughs> so this is what it is. So, but it was. And then learning at the end of the semester, you have a three-hour exam. How do you make that transition in a three-hour exam? Never had a three-hour exam. So that was like, I, so yeah, three hours of chemistry exam, three hours of physics exam, three hours, in my case, it was pre-calc, three hours pre-calc exam, mm-hmm. three hour English exam, and three hour mini engineering class exam. So it's like, wow. Yeah. So you had to get yourself ready. And I just remember at the first, first semester there, I had to learn how to study, mm-hmm. when to study. And mm. uh, even though some you made some friends, they want to go out and party on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I said, I can't. I find myself down in the basement of my residence hall um, in the kitchen area um, and with my books cracked open on a Friday night to wow. late uh, Saturday morning, just reading and trying to decipher things, realizing that um, in the math class I have, I'll go to bed. I, I couldn't figure out this one problem. I couldn't figure it out. I'll go to bed. And I just remember one time I got so frustrated. I said, I'm not going to do anything else tonight. Went to bed and started dreaming about the problem. Woke oh my up gosh. with the solution. Woke <laughs> up with the solution. I said, Dang! But that was, you know, that's when you, you put your mind to what you want to do and try to go through it. And that was a good experience for me because it showed me that if you start talking through your problems and start talking through what you need to do, you can make some headway. But you got to be disciplined. And if nothing else, I learned to be disciplined about my studies because it was rough. It was rough. <laughs> engineering, is a, engineering program is a rough program. Absolutely. So that's what I hear. You know, I, I work with college students for my full-time job uh-huh. and engineering is one of the toughest fields. But uh-huh. uh, for you, as you entered, uh, and my next question was kind of like, well, did you do, identify a, a program that you liked? But it sounds like you, you knew that you wanted engineering or that it felt like you wanted engineering. Uh-huh. But you soon had to speak, it sounds like. Um, right. Talk to us about that process, because that, that can often be a difficult or defeating experience for students. Right. Well, it was. Um, I spent two and a half years in engineering. Um, and I just couldn't, I didn't have the foundation, the strong foundation of math to continue. So I got dropped from the engineering program. And then I went off to, came back home for a year, worked full time, um, went to community college for, and took the full-time course load for a year, yet made the deans both semesters. That boosted my conference again that I can do this. Then I transferred back to Rutgers, mm-hmm. and then I, that's when I choose to make math my minor, my major and minor, uh, and then I also chose Africana Studies. Uh, Africana Studies wanted to be in my major and math being my minor. Mm-hmm. So um, if it wasn't for that failure and me going to take college at a community college, 
course of the community college for a year and working full time and have this been to get through that. Um, I took 14 credits each semester and I did well, made the dean's mm-hmm. list. So it showed me that I had the foundation to do well at a four year institution. So I transferred back to Rutgers, uh, took some summer courses there, did well in those. So the fall, I just started back in my regular schedule and went from there. And I wanted to graduate with African studies and a minor and uh, as my major and, and math as my minor. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have any careers in mind when you made that switch? Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. I just say my focus was and only focus was to graduate college. Um, and the, the blessing is that while I was at Rutgers, all the years I was at Rutgers, mm-hmm. I got a work study job and the computer science and the computer operations department. Mm-hmm. And this, oh, I call her grandma to this day, this older white woman, mm-hmm. loved my personality. We just gelled. And I was a data entry operator from the day one to the day I graduated. So every semester, whether my work study ran out or not, she made sure the department paid for me to work there at the department. Mm-hmm. So in the summertime, uh, you know, you don't get work study in the summertime, but she made sure the department um, paid for me to come in and do data entry for them. Because back in then, we had the punch cards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. So yeah. I was doing data entry in the computer, for the teletype, and, and so that's what I did. She loved me, um, and during the summertime, I stayed off campus, and on the way in from work, she would pick me up and um, take me into office. So it was like uh, somebody embraced me and supported me, and then because of her, my last year in school, she um, there was a computer operation, um, computer operator job opening up on the graveyard shift, and she spoke for me to get it. She said, he's been here all these years. He's worked diligently in his office. Um, he should get that job. He didn't know what to do, and he can do it. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, she got me that job, and I worked the, um, the graveyard shift mm-hmm. um, from 12 to 8, and it helped me pay for school. It helped me finish school, and I wound up um, being happy. And I did that for two years after that. Um, I went from graveyard shift to the afternoon shift where I was a um, lead operator on the um, afternoon shift to a shift supervisor. So um, it, 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 that's what I did. And I just remember back in the day, my salary for in 1984 was 16500 Wow. And that was high. Mm. But not high enough. Now you look at that. The computer operators make one hundred sixty thousand. Oh yeah, they're making like yeah, six so, figures, right? Right, right. So, <laughs> but that was high, and mm-hmm. I was just like, okay. But I enjoyed. It. I had money in my pocket. I was able to pay for things. I lived off campus. I can pay my rent. I can pay for bills. Definitely. And go from there. So after I graduated, I went on taught math at the high school. I didn't. I did not anticipate doing that. I was just looking for a part-time job because I worked the, um, the second shift from 4 to 12, and I was just looking for something I could do during the day, and I became a substitute teacher. Mm. And since I, they found out that I was um, having my minor in math, um, there was a math teacher that quit mid-year because he could not handle the students, and he went mm. back to South America. 
So as a result of that, they say, well, you can take on this class. We're just supervisor. So I did that for a whole year. Um, and I said, well, let me go back and get my master's degree, mm-hmm. um, and do that. But it didn't work out that way <laughs> because when, <laughs> yeah. uh, I went back and started working. I was still working in the, in the evening shift, um, mm-hmm. as computer operator. So uh-huh. I had two jobs one time So wow. that year. Um, for that year, I made $32,000. So I was like, Ooh, you know, you're, you're that young and you're making that money. You don't yeah. have that money. And I got a car. A used car. So, you know, it was like, I'm, I'm living the life of Raleigh. So I did. And I did that. And I continued working this, um, after this class year ended in June, I continued working in this second shift because I was supervisor then. And I, in turn, um, continued working there. But I was, um, the people there, for me, I, I wasn't regimented to being in the back, just running machines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of graduate students came because they had problems with the, with the cars and figuring out why the cars were being chewed up or Ooh. the cars wasn't running right. right. Uh, or they ran the program and it wasn't working, but I took a lot of computer, cl- computer science classes. So I, I was able to brief them on what was wrong with their program, what's wrong with the cards. Um, and, it just gave me, I guess I added a lot of personal touch to customer service for them. Mm-hmm. So they always look for me. Graduate students do this stuff late at night, as you know. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, think of um, back in the day, you have somebody with this big box of cards. I mean, like oh my. Uh, almost a foot and a half of cards. And sometimes they wouldn't label them with like one, two, three, four, five. Mm. And come in and they cards go in the machine and it spits it out the wrong way and they go crazy because they didn't figure out how to put it back in right order. So I had to help them do that. So yeah. that led me to other opportunities. And when I was in un, uh, undergrad there at Rutgers, I was working with the Paul Robeson Cultural Center. Mm-hmm. So I started working in the summertime. I worked with them doing different programs, but also since I graduated and I had my degree in, um, and African studies, but also took a lot of computer science classes and computer classes and worked in the computer center. The engineering EUF program wanted me to come back and teach Fortran. And then also the pharmacy program, EUF program, wanted me to come back and teach basic for them. So mm-hmm. I did that for the summertime. So I had money uh, coming in that way and I was, and, and that was helping out. And then once the upper bound program workers heard that I was teaching for the uh, engineering EUF and the pharmacy EUF. It's well, can you teach a computer science class for our students how to use the computers, how to program? So yeah, so I did yeah. that for a number of years with them um, while I was still working as a computer operator supervisor over at the um, computer center. So it led up to the, me doing that led me to working another full-time job, wow. not, not full-time, but part-time job with the Paul Robeson Cultural Center. Wow. So I worked with them uh, doing programs for uh, Afro-American students on campus and, uh, and doing stuff with the summer programs for EUF because they had a Douglas College, uh, all the different colleges at Rutgers and New Brunswick had a summer EUF program. It's not like it's now, it's one EUF program. Right. But yeah, Livingston, uh, Rutgers, um, cook, um, pharmacy, engineering, they all have some programs. So we did a little programs for them to burn up some steam. We created like a little mini summer Olympics for them 
to burn up some energy on the weekend so that they, on one weekend, and they can all take a trophy home saying, we are the best EOF program. <laughs> so it worked out really nice, and it, it led me to being observed by Res Life Office, yeah. which I wasn't, because some of the people that work with the EOF program were working with Res Life. So they get back, and we're talking about all the programs and stuff was going on, the Paul Robinson Center, and I was doing leadership training with the uh, students with the Paul Robinson Center, and I did help them put together a leadership retreat for Mm -hmm. students, and a lot of the Res Life staff came and was participating in that leadership retreat that weekend, and unbeknownst to me, the director for the um, the Res Life program saw me and met me. I was like, Oh, what are you doing for lunch? Let's sit down and talk. I heard you doing a lot of things here and there. I didn't realize that was a interview for me for a position he was considering me for. So they were head- it sounds like they were headhunting you, right? Like they, they headhunted me it. based on what I was doing with the students. Wow. Because they saw how I was interacting with the students and they were looking for me to become come in and take off what they call the special interest housing environment. The special interest housing was like Paul Rosen, Latin image section, uh, Spanish, French, all these special interest groups, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender groups, they all had different floors or different buildings that they had people at those interests in, and you work with them and develop leadership and things like that. So lo and behold, I had lunch with him. He talked to me that, oh, I want you to meet some of my staff. You're staying around for dinner, right? Yes, I stayed around for dinner. Yeah. Talked with some of the staff. And it's like, oh, it's like, what's going on here? So I said, well, like, they just asked me a lot of questions about what I do and how I do it and what made me then. It's like, okay, yeah, the answer, I guess I answered the questions to their liking. Uh, and then at the end of this uh, retreat, weekend. He said, do you mind coming and talking with us in the office for a position we have open as a special interest coordinator? I said, yeah, why not? Okay. So I I did. And that was the first time I had a full day interview. Wow. I met with the residence hall staff, uh, a residence counselor staff. I met with the preceptors. I met with the paraprofessional staff. I met with the professional staff. They took me to lunch. They took me to dinner. So it was like a nine to eight interview and everybody had to give some type of feedback on what they felt as to how you would fit in the staff and how you would work with the students. So uh, as a result of that, they called me back the next day and said, we want to offer you a position. I know you're working at the university, but it would be the, um, but these are the French benefits. French benefit was you have apartment on campus, you have free phone, free cable, and you wear a beeper to yeah. respond to calls in the hall. I said, okay. <laughs> so I <laughs> took that on and I did that job for 12 years. 12 years. So yeah. it, was a, it was an enjoyable learning experience. And I guess that gave me all the foundation how to interact with students, um, build my love for working with students and developing students in the uh, environment for student development. Awesome. So it gave me that foundation. And that, of course, um, led me to um, Stevens Institute of Technology, Up and Bound program, had an ad for a director, one inch by two inches in a newspaper. And I said, huh? So I said, let me just apply for it. I applied mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. and went in for the interview. And the, the guy that was the, um, the executive director of the program, 
over, over that area uh, was my counselor when I was at Stevens in the Upper Bound program. Mm-hmm. So he remembered me then, but mm-hmm. he also um, gave everybody a fair shot. Come in, you interview, you write a few things, um, get writing samples while you're there. And a week later, they called me and said, we want to hire you as that. So that's when I became the director of the program. Wow. I said, wow. So to answer your question, did I have a career plan for myself? No. <laughs> I had one plan for myself. Yeah. But as you know, the Lord sets his ways the way he wants it to go. Absolutely. And I, I had no idea this is what my life travels would be like and what I would do. And I was at Stevens for four years, four and a half years, over the Upper Bound program, wrote the grant there again for it to be reactivated. Uh, and I set in all the things I know I would have loved to do while I was there. I set that in play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the things that I know I was missing in college to prepare me for college, I put in play. Absolutely. So I set the policies that will help the students do what they needed to do. And one of the biggest things and the biggest joy out of that was um, every summer, the students have five books they had to read. And one of the books was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teams, mm-hmm. Color of Water, and conversation with my Mexican father. And I forget the sixth one. Oh, and Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, Who Moved My... I've heard of this book. I, I've not yeah. read it. I've heard of it. It takes you about maybe half an hour, 20 minutes to half an hour to read. You should read it. And it really talks about how you adjust and make changes in your life. And, and students, at the end of the summer, they um, created the phrase, have you read my books yet? And they brought me a T-shirt, said, have you read my books yet? Mm-hmm. Because I've walked on campus with the, you know, from time to time, I'll go check on them in class, check them in between meals and in the recreation time. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, have you read my books yet? <laughs> and and if they came up, you know, I'm on the philosophy. You read the book, you read between the lines, and you read beyond the lines. Mm-hmm. So if you, and at every level, I'm going to give you a different set of questions. And what it was is that if I said, have you read my book? I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you can't answer the questions, I'm going to say, you didn't read my book. Why are you going to bother my time? <laughs> yeah. and, and so a group of students always would see me running, um, see me coming. And they said, don't you say you read the book if you have not read the book. Because I read all the books and I would not just give you one. I would pop around different questions and different chapters to mm-hmm. see if they really read the book. Yeah. And as a result of that, they would say, don't you tell them you read the book because everybody that was there, I would be getting asked some questions and they would get upset and said, don't ask some questions. If you haven't, don't answer the question. If you haven't read the book, because they were like, okay, because they know they all were susceptible to the questions I was about to ask. Oh, definitely. Right. That's so, the accountability. That was a big thing. Yeah. And the funniest thing with that is that when some of them graduated and went up to college, they said in my first year seminar class, mm. guess what book I had to read? Seven Habits of Folly Effective Teams. Mm. Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> Color of Water. I said, well, these are books I know that the colleges are having you read to help you better develop some skills that you need to succeed. Definitely. And one um, student she called me back. She had, she actually had to call me and he said, guess what, Mr. Culpepper? 
guess what happened when I went to class? Um, the professor came in with all these books and slapped them down on the, on the table and said, this is the book for this class. And she said, he, she started laughing. He said, why are you laughing? Because I should have read that during the summertime when Mr. Culpepper gave me the book. <laughs> so now it was required. So that was the funny to hear that back from them and then getting emails over the past years. I still have this book. I still remember this book. I still remember who moved my cheese. So those things are, um, have pivotal impressions on them um, because it helped them change their mindset in reference to reading. Uh, the students I know that really can read and have the academic foundation, I'll push them to read who moved my cheese. And then, but, but I've also forced them to read um, the hen, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens first, and then I would have them read the other book, Seven Highly Effective uh, Habits, mm. because it's the same thing, but it's at a higher level. So the students I know can really read that. I would challenge them to read both and compare and contrast that, and we have discussions on that. So they did that. That's why I know I was having an impact on them because they can compare the two books and what's the difference and how is how they can live by those things in that respect. Wow. Amazing. So you were really preparing your students for this college mindset and entering right. college, which is, right. is amazing in mm -hmm. itself. Um, right. Are there things you wish you knew before you started college? Um, some of the things I try to instill my students. Um, but uh, the program did give me everything I needed to survive, get over the bumps and hurdles, um, and how to keep that persistence for what you want and keeping that goal ahead of you. Um, that was one thing that I admired that it helped me um, because me being a first-generation low-income student and knowing that this was my dream, how to keep that in focus. Uh, be, like I said, at the seven has to say, begin with the end of mind. It helped me to keep that at all times. And I kept that as my mantra that that's what I want. I want to get that, no matter how long it takes me. It took me nine years to get there, but I got it. Yeah, I did every every type of every shape, form, and fashion to get there. I got it, and I and my journey wasn't the traditional journey. And I realized that no student had every student does not have the same easy path. Everybody has a different pathway. It's how you guide them to build the, the foundation for them and the fundamentals in them for them to succeed, no matter how they travel that pathway. It sounds like very sound advice already that you're providing, right. but do you have any, any other advice for the class of 2025 that may be listening? Um, keep your goals in mind. Um, write them out. Write them out. Um, prepare them. Look at all the obstacles um, and let the Lord guide you. <laughs> because I went one way, he brought me back another way. But the good thing is that everything he did with me was preparing students in the science and in engineering environment, working with the Upper Bound Math Science Program, with the Upper Bound Program Stevens, um, working with the students to get enrolled in different colleges that had science interests. So all the things I did was to build that foundation for them to be successful in engineering. Uh, the good thing is when I was at Stevens, we took, uh, when we was at, sorry, when I was at NGIT, we had the Upper Bound Math Science Program. We took students from New York, New Jersey, um, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. So all these students, and we paid for them to come from the islands to stay there for the six weeks. Mm -hmm. 
So they and paying for the ticket, plane ticket back. So they enjoyed it. They they had a different experience and they shared their experience with the students that are from America. That you're blowing opportunity. That we're loving this because we're coming here. Things are paid for us. We got the books. We got the uh, housing. Um, they pick us up, drop us off. Uh, we had the weekend excursions to different places. Um, so they learned to appreciate uh, all the values that the program was putting in them. And I have to say there was one student that I followed with. He went on and got his um, doctorate in engineering uh, from Puerto Rico. And um, I'm sorry I didn't follow with him more, but he is, is teaching in engineering. Wow. So That's amazing. They, it, Trio does work. We just got to follow up with them and make sure that they know that they can do it. And, and Trio, Trio does work, but you got to believe that you are part of that equation. The family, the Trio staff, and the students make the Trio um, and keep you going to make sure that everything's in place that you graduate. And that's why we say trio works because everything is there. Absolutely. Now I'm a, I'm a trio uh, alumni twice over. I was part of the student sports service program at Rutgers as well. So that gave me some support system there as well. And that some of those things there, I transferred over when I became the director of the trio support service at St. Peter's. Mm -hmm. Some of the same values there from upper bound, some of the same values from the student support service that students need. Yeah. Uh, keep them going. So you had that persistence, that retention, the happiness that they need, and faith in themselves that they can graduate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anthony, thank you uh, so much so far for, uh, you know, sharing your experiences with us. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right okay. back with Anthony Culpepper Jr. to talk more a little bit about TRIO and everything else that's happened since graduating from college. So we'll be right back. Back with Anthony Culpepper Jr., who is a notable TRIO alum of the Upper Bound Program and also a Student Support Services Program alum. Uh, Anthony, you were talking about uh, your previous work experience, uh, how you ended up in TRIO and all of that. Um, so I'm going to go back a little bit, just rewind a little bit. Uh, when you graduated from college, you had all this technical and college professional experience already, it sounds like. Um, can you talk to us about that work experience and how that worked out for you? It, like I said, my path wasn't, even though I had this design of what I want to do, every, it seemed like every step I took um, was in a direction that led to something else. Um, I never thought that um, being a part of a data entry operator as a work-study job at, at the school would lead to a computer operations. I never thought that my interaction with the graduate students and at the computer center or helping them with their programming issues and things of that nature would lead me to working at, um, with, at the Paul Robinson Center. 
You know, that I think that getting my degree um, in African Center with mine in math would lead to me teaching math in high school for a full year. I just never, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just, when the opportunity knocked and it was there, I took it. Um, and, and yeah, as I took these things, there was always somebody there guiding me through the process, uh, kind of, as you say, mentoring me. So uh, that's why my, um, my, dissertation is going to be in mentoring Afro-American males for success in higher education institutions, because mentoring is a key component of what anybody does. And the mentors can be direct or indirect. Someone that guides you in an indirect way or a direct way uh, makes a big difference. My career uh, wasn't by choice because I just know my goal was graduate college. I didn't think about what I was going to do afterwards. So all the things led into one thing. We work in res life and being computer operations mm-hmm. led me to teaching. Um, and also working with res life for such a long time, let me going on to Stevens, um, having that background there and that technical background with computers led me to, and teaching led me to being the director for the upper bound program and having a vision of what the students need and talking about that and using my own past experience as to what I saw that needed to be developed in students and what I needed to be developed in me to be effective and what I needed to do. So looking at that, all of them kind of merged together, not unbeknownst to me, I never would have thought going back as a substitute teaching and actually teaching for a whole year with math programs. And as you know, math is a bilingual language. I mean, a universal language. I had a bilingual business course. I had mm-hmm. a bilingual algebra class. Mm-hmm. The students spoke some English, but not um, fully. But mm-hmm. by the end of the year, they were able to talk and, and uh, understand the math, and they did well. So it's uh, developing the drive and the students to appreciate what they have. And math is one of that. Um, because if you don't um, develop the interest of math for students, they get turned off. And they get turned off from fourth grade up. If you don't have a good engagement or you don't have a teacher that can really teach math that makes it enjoyable or applicable for them, they get turned off. Mm-hmm. So my job was trying to make it applicable, enjoyable, and fun, but let they learn the basic foundations and things like that. From using coins to using games, so that they can see how it applies across the board. Absolutely. And the, and for me, it just seems like everything rolled right into the other. And it led me to doing what I do and loving what I do. I would say, do what you love and love what you do. And as I did each of these things, I found what I love in each of those jobs and each of those roles to get me to continue in that. I've never thought I'd work for life for... Um, 12 years. I never thought I would be in Cuban operations for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those things intertwining with each other gave me the ability to do what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and working with students, was a, a large part. And I reflect back now, every job I had was working with students at different levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, those coming into college with the upper bound program and the UF program, those that are in college, um, them doing what they needed to do, um, and graduate students that were having their problems with their computer programs and stuff, and they needed to go from there. So taking that um, that stress level out of them 
when they in turn drop a cart or get cars get mangled or the, the program is not giving them what they needed to do and understanding programming to help them through the process. So it's different when you see the development of a student, you see students um, transition um, when something goes wrong, something going right, how they feel after that. So everything I did was been student-based. So I couldn't, um, I can't turn it around. And even now, um, everything's student-based. So that's what I like doing, right. things that are student-based. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you also talked a little bit about your experience about being the director. Buffer, the, I can hear that question. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, can you hear me now? Hi, Anthony. Uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm oh, okay, here. I got you now. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you became the director for the the very tree upper ground program that served you as a student. You talked a little bit yeah. about that. Um, how did that feel for you? I mean, that must have been kind of an existential moment. It was. It's like. Oh, I'm going back to where I started. Um, the, the program that led me to go to college, the program that gave me the confidence that I can graduate from college, the program that gave me the exposure culturally, socially, uh, environmental, um, globally, a program that gave me what I needed. And I looked at that um, as a good way of saying, I need to make sure that our students have the same type of exposure so they can feel comfortable going on what they want to go. And the big thing is when you created a trip with those students, that made a big difference uh, because you made it uh, exposure for them uh, and gave them the um, ability to see things differently. For instance, we took um, one summer, we had to take um, the program off campus to St. Peter's University Mm-hmm. Which is funny because um, the campus, the residence halls on the campus at Stevens had to be retrofitted with um, sprinkler systems. Mm-hmm. So St. Peter's had them. So we took the program five miles away from Stevens campus and did that. So we did five weeks, four weeks on camp, five weeks on campus. And the last week of the program, we took a college tour. Mm-hmm. And we took a college tour up through New York. We went to Cornell, uh, we went to Syracuse. Buffalo State, Buffalo University, Niagara Falls. None of the students ever went to Niagara Falls. Really? So no, that was like a very first experience. Parents were 67 students. Mm -hmm. And we took some parents as a chaperone for the trip. And they were quite surprised as the behavior of the students. These Mm -hmm. students stayed in, um, we stayed, made, made a purpose to stay on a college campus while we're touring those areas so the students can see what the other campuses look like and how similar or not similar they are to the campuses we are. Um, while we're there, each night we had dinner mm-hmm. out at the restaurant. So for some students, they never had dinner as a group or as a family in a restaurant. Wow. So this was a big leap of faith for them and the parents we had some male parents and female parents we chaperones and they were just shocked they didn't have to intervene at all they were just extra eyes mm-hmm. and they were just that's what they said i'm just shocked as how well behaved they are mm-hmm. i said this is something for them this is treat for them and they understand the ground was before we left and they did and they went to Niagara Falls. They enjoyed that. We went to Six Flags while we were up there. They enjoyed that out of state. So all these things, they 
expose themselves to and they've seen what the colleges are at different things and I always made a mandate if we go on a college tour you're going to dress like you are dressing for success mm-hmm. so if you're a young lady you're going to have some shoes a dress a blouse a skirt or pants or whatever you're going to look well men you're going to have a shirt you may have a tie if you have a tie you know we'll get one for you so mm-hmm. they would dress like they're dressing for success. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that was the thing that I tried to develop in the program. You're going out to represent yourself, represent your program, and represent your future. So people see you doing something serious and taking something serious, they're willing to take you on and bring you on board as what it is. Yes. So it was very interesting. And the students loved it. The following year, we took a trip down to University of Maryland uh, at College Park. Uh, we went to Gata um, Space Center. That's when it was open to the public. We didn't have all these issues with the um, the terrorists and all that. Mm-hmm. So they get a chance to exhibit, uh, tour through a space center and see everything there. Mm-hmm. And once again, we ate out. <laughs> we did activities out. So they, in turn, got a chance to see other college campuses outside the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of New Jersey. Yeah. Doing that, that makes a big difference. So my whole f- focus was exposure. And mm-hmm. you expose them to different things, then they realize these are things they can appreciate. These are things they want to do. And they know that a certain way they had to act. So the students really enjoyed it. And, um, and then students, some students couldn't make it to come. Um, I have one student that, uh, parents didn't have a way of taking it to college. So I was, I, I said, I'll take you. I'll drive you down to college and go from there. Mm-hmm. So I drove it down, got it settled. I said, have you had lunch? No. So we went out to a restaurant. We sat down, we talked about the experience. We talked about where we want to go and where, if she needs something, where to come and how to use the resources there and use me. Mm-hmm. So um, those are things that, we go be or beyond to make sure that students are comfortable and make an easy transition in college. So, and if you're comfortable with us telling those things, and that's, I guess that's part of the role where we are there for them, that they know that there is a beacon out there. We show them how to find different beacons and how to find the roadmap for you, how to create a roadmap because they don't know that. And I thought about it myself. If it wasn't for the Upperbound program, I wouldn't know how to apply college i wouldn't know what college to choose i wouldn't know how to make the transition there i wouldn't know how to um, survive socially on college campus i would have been uh often i would be out there and never never land so the program does offer a lot for our students and students for service does the same thing because we have students that come there that have not been a part of an upper bound program but are on the same a full road path that if you were in upper bound, you'd come into a college program. So we take and work with you that three weeks or four weeks in the summertime to get you adjusted to the college environment, where the resources are, who the resources are, and where your home is. Your home away from home is our office. And how you get to where you get to go, this is what we do. This is how we um, guide you and support you. And this is where you can come just to chill out. If you don't want to do anything else, you can come chill out in the office until we have to kick you out to talk with another student. So um, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. we want them to feel that this is a home away from home. 
So even the secretary, um, was a part-time secretary when she was tired. Um, she was very welcoming and worked with the students too. So it's creating an atmosphere for students that they feel that they can come to that environment and it's a home away from home. Even if just sit down or they just need to talk and blow off steam, not really ask for solutions, but just blow off steam. And a lot of times that's what they need to do. Somebody to listen to them versus just lecturing them all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So being in the trio programs, what did you enjoy most about it? Uh, uh, upper bound was meeting new people, doing different things. Students support services doing the same thing. The support was always there. I love the support I got. I love the environment. Um, I know that there was a, a safe haven for me to go. So I love that. And with the Up and Bound program, we had to commute from Newark, and everybody else coming from New York or different parts of New Jersey to come back to campus on Saturday for classes. So we'd um, meet up um, at the train station or bus station. Uh, when we get to Hoboken, we walk up the field together, up the street together to the campus. So, and then sometimes we stay afterwards. They had a bowling lane there, so we would bowl after that. Sometimes we go downtown with our stipend, our seven dollars stipend, and we go get a sub downtown at the Blimpies. So, you know, it's the fellowship that you build with the people that you're in a program with, and follow with them. And so today, you have friends. You know, may not always speak every single month, but you know that you'll have a kinship because you're in the program together. You experience some of the same issues, and you have you build your dreams together to go to college. Yeah. You were most recently a director of the Trio Student Support Services Program. Can you talk to us right. about that experience? That experience is, um, I was the first director. The school never had a director. Oh, never wow. had the program. Never had the program. They decided to write the grant. Um, so we wrote the grant, and they had to find the staff. So when I came on board, I came on board to set the program up, set the office up, get the uh, supplies we need in there from the computers and all the things that we needed to work with, with the staff, um, choose the staff, um, set up the design for the program for the summer program, and set up the service that we'd be using throughout the year. Um, the good thing with this program, we had it so that we had a class mm-hmm. set up for each one of the, uh, each one of the, the years of the students with first year student, second year student, third year student, fourth year student. They all took a, a trio student sports service class that we followed them through their college experience and get them exposed to different things. If you were in your junior senior year, we're talking about what are you going to do when you graduate? Mm-hmm. Well, what, uh, have you been a, a part of an internship? Mm-hmm. Sophomore year, you definitely may be looking at internship, looking at pl- mapping out. Everybody had to create a roadmap of where they wanted to go. Um, lay out things so that they know what's his, um, what the process is. Um, we made um, connections with career services that we participate in their career fair. It was mandatory the students participate in career fair. Even if you're a first year student, you need to go there and see what a career fair looks like, mm-hmm. what they need, what they want, how to get the exposure, um, how to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. So our students don't know how to do that, how to get that elevated speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what always been an advocate for me, giving the elevated speech without the ums, you know, I don't know. No, give it, no. Listen to how you're speaking. Get rid of the ums, you know, uh, and that's not part of the equation. Yeah. If you want to sell yourself, 
you got to be able to do that effectively. If you, if you're, um, if you're in the music and your favorite singer was Diana Ross, we'll say, and she just happened to be on the elevator with you, how do you introduce yourself? How do you um, show her that you love what she does and you like to meet with her or whatever? Mm-hmm. How do you sell yourself to her? So those type of things. What is your favorite artist? How do you, or your favorite athlete? How do you introduce yourself to them and show them that you admire them and that you want to, um, you want to talk with them beyond the elevator? You got two minutes to do that. How you do it? Mm-hmm. So that type of thing, getting them to talk about themselves. Awesome. So, now I did say that you were for this last position for uh, the director for the right. student support services. Um, right. Did you move on from that directorship? Um, my more focus was. Um, I needed to make room for graduate studies because this was last year. And in the four years I was there, I, I had to take off when we had to rewrite, I had to take off, drop, not take classes for a semester. And that set me back even more. Mm-hmm. So I needed to, uh, my focus was to finish this degree so I can go on to the next step. So okay. that's what I'm trying to do now. And I'm in the, the straightaway and I got one class now, which is ethics. And then I'm in dissertation one and that's chapter one, two and possibly three. And I'm getting that out the way so that come the fall, I have four and five and I can in turn say I'm finished and present. Wow. That's amazing. So you're going back to college for this doctoral program. Uh, and what was the decision or, or your, your, uh, the motivation to get into this doctoral program? Well, I, I always wanted to get my doctorate degree. That always been part of my vision, but different things in life have set me back from starting it. Uh, even I started my master's degree and then finished that into started in 2013, but I didn't start until late. So I got a couple of, um, professor certificates prior to that, but mm-hmm. I enrolled in 2013, got to uh, my master's degree in 2016. Later than I wanted to, but I said I need to move on. And mm-hmm. I started um, Stevens at uh, 2015. I mean, not Stevens, started um, St. Peter's in 2015. Mm-hmm. And I said, I need to get this rolling. So I started looking at other schools and other programs and said, since I'm here, they're going to pay for half of it. I might as well use it. So I enrolled uh, a year after I um, finished my master's degree and started on that journey. Wow. So I said, let me just get it done and move forward. There's a reason why I can start it now. So uh, I've been pushing it off and everything else has been coming to the wayside saying, okay, uh, not yet yet. So I'm a person that, firm person that believes that opportunity knocks at a certain time for a certain reason. So I in turn took this opportunity and just let me go for it and let me finish it up. And, and pandemic has helped me <laughs> if nothing else finish this degree. So, um, and maybe this is the time for me to do what I need to do. Um, so this is an opportunity. I'm looking forward to it and looking for the next, what the next role will be after I finish this. And it is a enjoyable experience knowing how to be able to apply a past experience to some of the subject matter and some of our discussions as to how I can better facilitate this degree to move me to the next level. Absolutely. So I'm going to combine the next two questions because I think they're kind of similar. Uh, What sort of impact are you hoping to make uh, as you complete this program and what is next for you? Well, um, I'm looking to still 
remain in higher education if I possibly can. So I'm looking to return back um, and maybe be a vice president, or associate vice president um, and, and in a student affairs area uh, in order to make some policy changes and develop programs that really deals with the student development and different areas um, because I don't think we all look at what those policies are and how they can affect. Um, we use a prime example when it's at NGIT, there was no um, advocate for veterans. Mm. So that's my, my role there was parent and veterans um, advocate. Mm-hmm. So I helped the parents make that transition to letting go of their students and the veterans helped them make a transition and give them support for the issues that they have affecting them while they're there. They Sandy hit, they had to be deployed. Uh, you were on, on call. Mm-hmm. So there was no policy. How do we work with them? How do we charge them? How do we get them going? So we worked with the veterans. We formed a veteran student association um, that helped out a lot. As a result, now I can say they now have a study area in the student center. They have a lounge for veterans as a result of all that starting back then. So setting up policies and things to help students that um, need support and develop the development of their studies, development of themselves to make the ideal candidate for graduation. So I'm um, looking to help come on board again and develop the policies and the programs to help students move on beyond the next level. Absolutely. So, and this next question really relates to education and what everything that you're doing. So okay. typically society, we've come to a point where I guess that buffer to you. So there's in society, there's two camps of people that uh, and this pandemic has certainly kind of uh, made that more aware. I think either you fall into the camp of you see education, you value it, but you feel like you need to, it needs to change. Or there's people that deride education and say there's no use for it anymore. Um, what do you say to that? And what do you think is causing that divide? Uh, outlook. Um, do you really have a good outlook on what education done, does for us? And that's for the nation. That's for the communities, because it's been shown that if you, um, if someone, any college environment that has um, students, they when they graduate, they stay within a fifty mile radius of that school, and by them staying in that environment, that community, closely out to university, it brings up the economic value, it brings up the community value. It brings up the educational overall. So say that we, for someone to say that education is not valuable at this point in time, they don't look at us as, as a global arena. How do we begin to change the world? How do we begin to change all the um, issues we have from pollution to um, leadership to anything that's out there? All those things scientifically. Think about it. Um, if you look back at Tang, what was Tang? It was a drink that they had when they went to space. But everybody drinks it every now and then, different this versions. True. This is true. Okay? Yeah. Think about space. Um, we, uh, in medical field, they used to use all-glass apparatus. But now what do they use? Plastic. Mm-hmm. As a result of going to space. Um, think about um, Star Trek. It was one of our favorite stores. Kirk always had a iPad to sign off on reports. Mm-hmm. What we have now, iPad. Yeah. So it, was, it took a vision. Um, it took a 
I had them out there for somebody to develop a vision, develop something here. So in all essence, education is ever growing, ever, ever evolving. We need to be able to develop the arena so we can better suit the world, where we're going, what we're doing. And to say that uh, education has no need, then technology has no need. Um, to a large degree, technology drives everything we're doing. You can't go anywhere. The thing, if you go to McDonald's, you don't necessarily have to read to order your menu. Um, you go to a restaurant, um, fast food restaurant. I want number one, I want number two, I want number three. You don't have to even speak the language. You just say one, two, or three. Um, you can order what you like because the picture's up there and, and low verbiage there. Yeah. So, Technology has gone a long way developing how we operate, how we build things, how we um, decide on things, how we record things. Um, Think about the first flip phone that came from Star Trek. Beam me up, Spotty. Scotty. So it's true. So now we have the Blackberry that's kind of a combination of the phone and the iPad, a mini computer. So all these uh, smartphones are basically a, a small mini computer. There are all the things you can do with that. Yeah. So to say that education has no value, then we take, if I take all these things from you, how do you exist? Right. Right. Very and good. Look at that. And look at Sandy. When Sandy occurred, it shut down everything over here in the Northeast corridor for 19 days. How did people survive? Mm. They had no electricity. You had no telephone unless you charge it in your car. Um, and, so how did you survive? I mean, you went back to the days when there was no power, no, no refrigeration. How did you survive? Mm-hmm. I mean, you lived out in the, in the open land in the woods and you had to create everything for you because mm-hmm. it was cold. That was October. It was cold. How mm-hmm. did people survive? Yeah. So you're going back to the pioneer days. So, how, how many of us know how to live in the pioneer days? How many of us need know how to cook in the pioneer days, the pioneer ways? Right, right. So, so yeah. yeah. So education is key to everything we do. We need to reevaluate how we're educating and to what degree we're educating uh, and making policy changes to make sure everything's in place. Because technology is here and we need to incorporate technology in reference to education. Very well said. Uh, what educational topics interest you? Um, I guess I'm still kind of interested in student development, um, adult development, how we work with um, changing that mindset. Because going to, being educated is changing your mindset. Mm-hmm. And if you don't change your mindset, you can't be educated. Oh, yeah. You got to look at things from a different perspective. You got to look at things... And you can't always have think that your perspective is the right way. You got to look at it from someone else's lens. Mm-hmm. You got to walk in somebody else's shoes. Um, all those things that create a, a perspective that is key to your growth and development. You're not going to grow if you're considering yourself the way you're doing things the right way. Right. You got to look at things other ways. Uh, see, and looking at that, you may sure see another way of developing something even better. But you can't do that if you don't look the other way. It's like that's what the whole thing of who moved my cheese. Why are you afraid to move? And why are you afraid to look for new adventures? Mm-hmm. Why are you afraid to take new challenges? 
because you don't want to, you want everything to come to you. Mm-hmm. That's not how life is. Yeah. If you want to, the ship is not always going to come in, but if you really want that ship and that ship is what you think it is, you need to go out to that ship, whether it's swimming, taking a rowboat, taking a speedboat, whatever to join that ship uh, and get that, what that ship has to offer and go on to the next docking station and decide whether you're going to stay with the ship or go on to something different. Mm-hmm. So it's really understanding where you're going and how you want to get there and to what degree mm-hmm. and open yourself up for a new exposure and new experiences. That's if you cool. can't get the experience, you're not going to grow and develop. And education is all about growing and develop. If you can't grow, you can't, de- you can't develop yourself, then where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. That's true. What aspect of research do you enjoy the most? Um, finding new solutions, mm. finding different perspectives. Um, because if you don't read, you don't learn. And if you don't read, it's like saying we are. So mm-hmm. reading more, researching more, understanding more, and bringing those highlights to the forefront is key to where you need to be and how you need to develop yourself because you only want to be able to develop yourself is to understand what the solutions are, what the potential solutions are, what the problems are, mm-hmm. because if you don't understand the problems. How can you come up with a solution? True. You guys look at the problem from not just one angle, but several angles because there's different things that occur. Different factors that affect that particular problem. How do you begin to eliminate those factors to solve that problem? And the only way you do that is by seeing other solutions out there. Absolutely. If you had the ability to change policies or approaches in higher education, what would you change or what changes would you make? Um, use of technology. Use of technology. Okay. Yeah. I say that because uh, looking at how things have evolved over this past year, um, we're not merging our technology and the technology resources out there to be more effective on college campuses. We have AT&T, we have Comcast, we have um, T-Mobile, all these things that can make these campuses more technologically sound by using the internet and Verizon, all that, if they in turn invested those resources on campuses to make them prime campuses for technology, then we can do things more. Um, just think about the libraries. When I came to college, my library was in the um, cards and the and the um, what do you call that thing in the in the cabinet car catalog. Mm. Now you go online, you can do everything online. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. So you can it's a lot faster, a lot quicker. So just imagine if we were able to bring all those resources, all those technology to campus, make campus more effective, more efficient for faculty, for staff, for students, and educating everybody up to the next level, mm-hmm. how we would be able to better facilitate the needs of everybody involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And considering everything to handle with, uh, with this pandemic, technology was not there, mm-hmm. not even in the community. Mm-hmm. If technology was there in the community, we would have the problems that we have now. Mm-hmm. With COE, Council for Opportunity Education, they work in agreement with Comcast that if student with students with service or upper bound town search, they would give them a free few months of uh, technology internet access 
without a problem. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice agreement. So what happened if that same type of agreement agreed with universities when increasing their technology on campus to help their students and the faculty and increasing the internet band so that there's no problem, then that would be a great environment for them to be in. Absolutely. And so, and, and I, I think I know what you're saying about this technological divide that still exists with uh, first generation, low income students and uh, the students that are able to have access to college, that there's still this divide. Right. It is. It still is. And you think about the students that are first generation and low income, their parents are not technology sound. So how can the parents help the student, even if you give them a computer or iPad or a Chromebook, how can they help them um, and how can the student get help in using that effectively? They're probably only using 10 to 20 percent of the capabilities of that apparatus. That's true. So how do we begin to move even with our professors and our students and college students that have these apparatus? How can we get them to use um, the apparatus to a larger degree? Yeah. A larger percentage. Um, so if we have those tools in effect, then let's think where we can be. We won't be at five gigabytes. We may be at 10 gigabytes. Mm-hmm. You know, technology yeah. is moved. I mean, every year, the average use of a computer is now is two years. Yeah. So two years is outdated. Mm-hmm. No matter how many chips you put in, it's outdated software-wise, computer-wise, so just think if our education system is outdated in two years in the same manner, how do we improve it? That's right. Yeah. You got to be able to use other resources and be able to use things to increase the uses of the technology, education system that we have there. Um, I forget his name. I think his name is, last name is Prince, but he always does some things on uh, Instagram and Facebook where he talks about, how to change yourself and change the environment. And then he wanted the one that I really like. And he talked about the classroom and he did a classroom scene where he talked about a classroom has always been the same since we have stepped foot on this continent. Mm-hmm. Lecture, uh, students be lectured to by um, teachers, mm-hmm. not interaction. So how do we begin to move that classroom so the students are learning more mm-hmm. Um, by you got to get away from the old model, get mm-hmm. rid of the old model. The old model work, may work for some, so they get to the next level. Mm-hmm. But how do we create an environment where the students are learning based on their learning styles and the things they have around them to make things more um, a lot better? Absolutely. Because the only way we're going to change is by changing how we interact and teach our students and using their particular skill sets to um, be challenged because how many professors are uh, afraid to be challenged by the student because the student asks a question. Mm-hmm. I think you think about me when I was in grammar school. Well, how come we don't fall off the planet? Yeah. If she knew, if she knew the answer to that by gravity, then she can have another conversation. Well, gravity does this, gravity does that. Mm-hmm. Atmospheric mm-hmm. pressure does this, mm-hmm. but she didn't know the answer to the question. So, if we have students now in college that answer questions that the professors can't answer or uncomfortable answering, mm. then where where is our education system going? Right, right. We got to be able to expand beyond that to create a creative environment so that we're absorbing as well as students are absorbing new ways of learning 
and growth and development in that process. Absolutely. Uh, what advice would you give to trio professionals listening to this podcast? Continue improving upon yourself and your, your professional development so that you understand what all the different um, services out there for you. Use them. Um, if you have a master's, get another one. If you have a master's, get a PhD or EDD. Um, get something that will help you specialize to bring better services to your students and yourself. Because the more you are engaged, the more you are improved, the better services you offer you can offer to your students. Fantastic advice. What about, what about advice for trio students, whether they're in McNair, Veterans Upper Bound, Upper Bound Math Science, Upper Bound Classic, or Educational Talent Search, or Student Support Services? Who move my cheese? Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teams. Use that. <laughs> use those goals and keep yourself focused because you have a dream. And the only one that's going to set you away from your dream is yourself. Uh, failure is not an option. Failure is only a stepping stone to where you need to go. And I failed it many times, but it, that failure uh, made me better. It guided me into different directions. It gave me different skill sets. So failure is not something to frown upon. Failure is going to move you in a direction. And you don't know, you have a, you have a dream of what you want to do, but the Lord has another plan for you. You just don't know it yet. If that, if their dream is what he wants you to do, he'll make it happen for you. Mm. But if it's not, he's going to guide you in direction and make every sure every door open for you to do what he wants you to do, because you're going to use your skill sets, your talents to be able to help other people and other individuals. That's amazing advice. As we wrap up the podcast, there are some questions that I'm going to have for you that the audience was going to be interested in hearing about. So okay. we'll, we'll go through these questions kind of rapid fire. Um, okay, here we go. So outside of academics and research, are you reading any books for leisure? If so, what are they? Um, the last one I read is um, Changing Mindset. And I forget the author now. It's a female author. Um, because uh, dealing with students, I need to have the two sets to change their mindset. Um, also another chapter I just finished my ethics class with one of my books is communication. How do we begin to communicate? What is the theory of communication? Mm. Are we always just talking and not listening? What important part of listening is in your own way of growth and development? So communication is key, but how do we communicate? We don't really know how we communicate because sometimes we out there like uh, the fifth habit. Mm. We speak first and seek to understand. Mm. So how do we begin to move in that direction? So just those things right there. It's, I'll pick up things from here to there. Right now, I can't um, read all the different books, but right now I'm reading a lot of peer review articles that open my mind to different perspectives. Um, and that's giving me an understanding of where I need to go and what I need to do. Because as now I say, oh, yeah, I, I thought this, but this is also important to what I'm doing and what I'm trying to put together to make a point as to importance of mentoring someone. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. so uh, sorry, Anthony, my, my cat no is <laughs> invading my microphone space. Oh, okay. No problem. My dog is running back at me doing the same thing. Thank <laughs> you, down, lady. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so for my next question for you then, uh, how about inter entertainment, film or TV, any shows that you're watching or films that you've currently watched that, you know, you, uh, I'm a sci, I'm a sci-fi acting type of guy. So all sci-fi action guy, 
action items um, I look to be involved with. Um, sadly enough, I haven't been able to look at everything that I wanted to because of the reading I'm doing. But once I get a break, I'm a nosedive to a lot of sci-fi um, things I missed. And one thing I want to try to see over the next few weeks is a new um, a Furious 10, I think it is, the car. <laughs> The oh, the, the, the Fast and the Furious. Uh, the Fast and Furious series. Yeah, yeah. And coming right. out. So I think that's coming out in two weeks or so. I think so, so. If I can skip away and get in there and see, I want to see that too as well. So Fantastic. I like that type of excitement and things for that. That's awesome. And, and finally, I have the music question that I, I need to put in here. Any music uh, or artists that you've been listening to, uh, past or present, that, you're, that, you've, that got you through the quarantine? Or, or do you have a recommended playlist? Um, um, I guess my taste is a little bit different and more eclectic than the, the average individual. I listen to all types of music, um, salsa, Latino music, uh, African music, country music. I, and I play that on my roommate because I'm a freshman roommate. <laughs> uh, he introduced me to a lot of that, which is ukulele. He played play the ukulele very well. And a banjo. That's impressive. And all, yeah. So he, he got me to, to change my my taste in music and looking at so all of the different things. But when I want to be motivated, sometimes I use listen to gospel music, okay. and that motivates me. So that's my motivation tool. Um, this is that, and my psalmist I say is CC Winings. Okay. So fantastic. Nice. Very solid recommendations there, uh, Anthony. Um, Thank you so much, Anthony, for spending the last two hours with me to talk about your career, mm-hmm. to talk about Trio and your passions. Uh, it has been a wonderful and a great pleasure to have you on this podcast. I hope we get to this again soon. Definitely. I look forward to it. And once again, Anthony Culpepper, Trio alumni, Students for Services, Upper Bound. And uh, sorry I wasn't being part of McNair, but um, I'm two twice over alumni. And for me, Trio has worked because it's guided my whole career and guided me and kept me close through my teaching experience and my working experience. And I worked over 17 years in Trio. So so with that, um, I love Trio. Trio is me. Trio's in my blood. So I can't do anything else but love Trio. We appreciate your service and we appreciate everything that you've done for Trio. Anthony Culpepper Jr., uh, now a former Student Support Services Trio uh, director, currently an EDD uh, candidate at St. Peter's, uh, and we appreciate everything that you do. We wish you all the best. Thank you, sir. And best to you, and keep the podcast going because the Trio alumni, me, and Trio students need to hear this and see this because they need the motivation to go from there. They see that Trio does work and there's over 50,000 Trio alumni out there. So they need to hear this. And great job and keep it going. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a Trio program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk Trio. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk Trio. We want to get your story to the public.
great interview with Anthony Culpepper Jr., notable trio alum. Anthony, thank you so much for being on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. And we appreciate the wisdom that you share and the thoughts that you have about education and your overall leadership. Uh, I think it is much needed uh, in TRIO. And again, we thank you so much for being on the podcast. Remember, you too can be on the Let's Talk TRIO podcast. Send us a message via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can also email us at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. You can nominate a staff, student, alum, or former staff to be on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Send us even emails. Give us a little bit about their information, and we will get in touch with them. Once again, a huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario O'Reilly, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast. You too can be a sponsor of the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Head on over to Patreon. Search for Let's Talk Trio. We have multiple sponsorship levels. You can select the first level, which is a dollar a month, which l truly does go a long way in supporting our podcast. And we have a other a variety of ranges in there as well. If you would like to advertise on this podcast, we do have a corporate sponsorship level. Scroll all the way down on our Let's Talk Trio page on Patreon, and you can sponsor us for $100 a month. $100 a month will get your spot advertisement spot on the podcast and we will run your ad for every episode we publish in that month please get in touch with us for details i want to take a moment to recognize our honorary members of let's talk trio tony ho roderick chambers and scott kendall the let's talk trio podcast team is amelia castaneda marketing manager, social media manager, script supervisor, and producer. John Russell, editor, tech advisor, audio engineer, and music producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. Thank you all so much for continuing to listen to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Thank you for your support, for the continued encouragement, for all the positive vibes you all send, and for just your overall uh, compliments about this podcast. We are receiving such great things, such great reviews, um, and we couldn't be here without you all. Uh, this podcast team uh, is grateful, and we are going to continue to do this work. Uh, yes, sometimes our scheduling is a little bit uh, off when it, in terms of publishing, but um, we love the work that we do, and we want to make sure that we focus on the episode and give it all the attention to detail that it deserves. So we appreciate you uh, as our audience, and thank you for continuing to support, listen, download. Um, yeah, if anything, if you want to uh, be able to support this podcast, just uh, share, right? <laughs> Go to your social media uh, profiles, share this episode, share all previous episodes, share our main page, share it wherever, right? Uh, the more exposure that we get, that's more listeners and we can generate uh uh, uh, engagement and, and, and generate uh, viewers, uh, listenership. Again, thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode.